It's great to see everyone that's here tonight. I'm glad to be here. I consider it a privilege to stand before you as I have throughout this uh, short series of gospel meetings. And tonight, I'm excited about what I'm going to preach to you. I'm excited because it's a message from Jesus. If you're visiting with us, I invite you to turn in the gospel of Matthew. Uh, This inspired man wrote this down for us. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, that's a big deal. Who is the greatest? We all want to be the greatest. We sing songs. People have songs about the greatest. We like to think about our stars and stripes and 50 stars, or maybe 51 now that they like to fly, but 50 stripes or 50 stars represent a great nation. A powerful nation. The greatest army in the world, people would like to say. So who is the greatest? Do you ever wonder whether or not you're great? Not if your mom or your grandma says you're great. That's a given. Take that out. I'm talking about when you look in the mirror and you think about your life and you look at yourself and say, am I really great? I'm not just talking about being great at a job. Lots of people can be great at making money, but they're not great in life. I'm talking about being great in the epitome of the word. A great human being, a a person that God would look down on and say, this is great. That's exactly what they did. They got an answer from God the Son. Rarely do you have an opportunity. Rarely would you ever have the opportunity to have such a conversation, and yet Jesus gave it to us. Who is the greatest, they said, and Jesus called a little child to them, verse 2, A little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Now, you think Jesus doesn't care about children, and I believe spiritual children too here. Verse 6 says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. I worry about people who don't like little children. Jesus, upon this occasion, used a little child to draw a wonderful, big spiritual principle. And tonight, I want to talk to you about becoming like a child. And there will be a clear distinction in what I have to say tonight. There is a difference between being childish and like a child. And we have to make that distinction. Becoming a child of God Almighty is a big deal. It involves our choice. Becoming a spiritual child involves our choice. I did not decide who my physical parents were. They are Jimmy and Cindy Smith. That DNA don't lie. The lungs are there. The look is there. It just is there. But I have a choice as to whether or not I will make God Almighty my spiritual father. I love prayers as our brother prayed where we address 
our Father in heaven as Almighty God because literally it is a great thing to think of your Father as the greatest. The greatest. Last night on the way home, Frankie and I were talking about family, we were talking about love language, and he gave me the distinct privilege of listening to a birthday present, his 40th birthday present from his kids. It's one of the sweetest things I've ever heard. And I want to tell you, when I think about what it means to be a good dad, when I think about what it means to be a good father, I see a lot of men here that have been some really great dads. You know, a lot of that sometimes is subjective. We have the greatest father on the top side of, of this earth, as we often say. But that doesn't really catch it, does it? We have the greatest opportunity to have a relationship with Almighty God, literally to make Him our Father. We're created in His image as human beings, but what He allows us to do is to have a spiritual, a real relationship where somebody like me that had a problem with a three-letter word of sin can have a relationship with someone that is infinitely good and pure and holy and someone that literally poured out the very express uh, reflection of his love when he had to make a choice about what to do with me and in order to make that choice it required him to shed the blood of Jesus. Your father may have given up a lot for you. I heard the little squeaky voices of Taylor and Tanner as they said, Dad, I think you're the greatest. Those are some of the sweetest words. I have pictures in my wallet now and I hope and I pray and I beg God for two healthy babies and I hope that they will utter those words. I pray that. But I want to tell you something. When you approach God and when you deal with the reality that God is who He said He was, He is real. He is a real being. He created this world. He is the star breather. We're in a little cul-de-sac in this little Milky Way galaxy. And he created all that is seen to get my attention and to get your attention. And you're nothing but a speck of dust. This earth is nothing but a speck of dust. In the great telescopes that magnify all of this wonderful universe. And those things were breathed out of his mouth. And when he saw a need in me and a need in you and a need in every man on the face of the earth, he allowed his only begotten son to walk down the starry, the starry staircase of heaven and die a cruel and awful death for us. And so when I say that it involves a choice, it involves me making a choice as to whether or not I want to be a child of God yeah, I can say that, and it's true, but it is a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. I absolutely shudder sometimes thinking about people's lives and what must be going through their head when I know they know, and they say, I'm not interested in God. I'm not interested in anything to do with God. We talked to a guy yesterday that had some serious uh, physical problems. Nice guy. Greeted both Frankie, just nice. But when you invite somebody, what do, you, do you have a relationship with God? He says, 
you know, I'm not really, I'm not really, in, I, I, I'm not really into that. I said, what do you mean you're not into that? He was a very nice guy. I just had a conversation with him. What do you mean you're not into that? He said, you know, I've just never been into that. I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I'm just not. Well, I want to tell you, I don't know is a great way to explain that because I can't imagine. It, it, it literally violates my mindset almost to conceive of the privilege and the honor of being a child of God and then know that it's an invitation to everybody and then someone say, I'm just not that into that. I'm just not that into that. Becoming a child of God involves my choice. It involves my choice of saying yes to the great, almighty creator of the universe who made a way for me to have a relationship with him. In John 1 verse 12, notice what the Bible says. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Who did they have to receive? Who are they going to have to receive? Who's everyone going to have to receive? They're going to have to receive Jesus Christ. There is no salvation in any other. Acts 4 and 12 says, There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. So if I'm to be a child of God, and it absolutely must be through Jesus, Jesus clarified it when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. He went on to say, Who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I want to trace this really quickly. I am not in the physical bloodline today. I'm not a Jew. Back, way back there in Genesis chapter 12, about chapter 17 and 18, a few other places, God blessed this guy named Abraham, and he told Abraham, Hey, I'm going to bless you. And out of your seed, out of your bloodline, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. That's a big deal. And I'm going to come back to how this relates to it. How this is involved in it. He said, though, we are born not of the will of the flesh. We are not born of physical bloodlines, per se. We're born of spiritual bloodlines. So you can imagine as we get closer to this passage how it is that the blood of Jesus Christ relates to me being a child. And I intend to tie that in. I want to invite your attention to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, there's a great case. This guy named Nicodemus. Now, some people, um, some people don't think this guy was scared, but here's what the Bible says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now what you need to know about the Jews, to give you some cliff notes of what's going on in the Bible here, the Jews were not particularly crazy about Jesus. He stole their thunder. They got real upset about it. They were jealous, they were envious, and they ended up delivering him to Pilate to kill him because they were envious. Have you ever heard the term green with envy? They were green with envy. They hated him. And that sin, that internal sin, had so captured their mind, they threw off all the miracles. They did not even regard the reality that he could raise the dead. They just hated his guts. So Nicodemus comes and says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, 
We know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs or miracles that you do unless God is with him. And let me just make a little aside here. And I'll challenge you to this. You may think that those guys on TBN are performing miracles on stages across the country. If you believe that, you've been deceived. I'm here to tell you tonight, I'll stand in 2010 and tell you, you've been deceived. You believe that one of the greatest lies and one of the greatest facades on the face of the earth. Let me tell you about a miracle. A miracle was when you literally had instantaneous healing. Instantaneous. You would go in and someone had never walked before. They literally had never taken steps. Have you ever seen Benny Hinn do that? When I watch these guys on TV, they'll go up and in some great spectacle hit people on the forehead and they fall back in some form of ecstasy. And let me tell you the difference in that. The difference in that and what Jesus did is when, people, when Jesus touched people, they stood up. They didn't fall down. That right there is a huge deal. That's a big deal. Jesus could raise the dead. Have you ever seen anybody empty out some graveyards? If you could, start with Paul's supposed grave, please. Raise people from the dead. That's what Jesus would do. Have you ever seen them cure some inexplicable disease? No. You'll find, let me tell you something. These great shows like Dateline, Who Catch More Than Predators, and MSNBC, and all these guys will do shows, and they send people undercover. And you come in, and you act like you're, you're down and out and everything else, and you're hobbling, I need some help, I need him to heal him. Guess what? They won't deal with you. You can get on YouTube tonight, and you can find people right now, I'll tell you this right now, you can find a, a, a clip on there where a man is acting like, the Lord's revealing to me that God said to say to you, and there's an earpiece in his mouth, and it got caught over a radio channel, and they recorded it, and they exposed the man, and it shut his church down. When Nicodemus said, we know thou art a ruler come from God, he knew without, beyond a shadow of any doubt these things were not done in a corner. Jesus did not play favorites. He went in every city and village, healed people that had problems that no one else had been able to heal. Doctors had worked on them for years. A woman with an issue of blood for years he healed that had been mutilated by doctors literally and the great physician in the form of Jesus comes, she touches his garments, made whole. Nicodemus knew this. Now let's move on. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus was no man's fool. How's that going to happen? He knew the natural order of reproduction. How's a person going to be born again? Notice what he says. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Jesus clarified it. And so he said, in verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water and of the Spirit. So if I'm to become a child of God, 
and it's through Jesus, I have to be born again. And Jesus said, I have to do it by water and the Spirit. Now what does that sound like to you? Give an example. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized... What is baptism? It's in water. It's a burial. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. So I know Jesus said, I've got to be born of water and of the Spirit, but yet Jesus gave the marching orders of go and preach faith and preach baptism. Those who believe and are baptized, that's in water, are saved. And Jesus told Nicodemus, that's what has to happen in order for you to see the kingdom of God. God wanted us to find out about the new birth through His Word, the gospel. It's good news. You've got to find out about it. Nicodemus wanted to find out about it, so he came and asked about it. And so tonight, if you're wanting to know how to be a child of God, this is where it's at. It's in the Word of God. It's not my plan. It's no other man's plan. It is God's plan. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 22, Peter wrote this, Since you have purified your souls... Since you have purified your souls, he said, in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, the incorruptible Word... Not corruptible seed. It'll die. It'll fade away. Incorruptible seed. When Jesus gave his great parable of the soils, he talked about the wayside, the rocky, the thorny, and the good ground, and he said, the seed is the Word of God. Peter said, the seed, the Word of God, is incorruptible, and when you obey it, you purify your souls. Now that gives me some insight into what James said. He said, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now the actual printed words itself, is that what you're saying, preacher? I'm talking about the outpouring, the revelation, the will of the Father in heaven. And when God says you're saved, you're saved. If I tell you you're saved, that doesn't mean anything. If God tells you you're saved, let me tell you, you're saved. That's where the power's at. When Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, it was not in Paul to save. It was in the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I want to ask you tonight, have you read your Bible? Have you ever heard the word of God preached? And have you ever obeyed what you read in the Bible? Lots of men will tell you lots of different things. I think we've already established liars are present in religion tonight. But there is only one standard of truth that will make you free, as Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32. If we accept the Word of God, we're privileged to be the child of God. I promise to come back to this illustration uh, of Abraham, and I'm going to do that right now. If you have your Bibles, please open. This is a great passage. It's in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul was helping these Gentiles realize who they were and what they were in Christ. And so he says this in verse 26. 
For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as, have, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to come back to verse 29 in just a minute. I want to make a big splash about this, so just bear with me. Here's the splash. I was raised in northwest Arkansas, transplanted there by a preacher and his wife. I'm not perfect. I was raised in their home by their rules, by their guidelines. That's where I came from. Where'd you come from? You may have come from some far-flung place. You may have come from across the water or across the border. Or you may have come from a home that didn't love you or care for you at all. I didn't have one of those homes. I won't apologize for that. But I also will tell you, at this point in the game, really it doesn't matter that much. Because here's the reality. In Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, we are all one. In other words, God doesn't look at you any different than he looks at you or you or you or you or anybody else in here. You know, parents can make a mistake and play favorites. They sure can. Listen to some of the horror stories of in-laws and outlaws and step this and step that and some wicked witch of the West. There are all kinds of stories. You'll never find a story in the Word of God where God cares about one particular race or one particular group more than He cares about another. And that ought to appeal to you because, listen, we're all Gentiles. And the Jews hated the Gentiles. And Paul, a Jew, was saying, get over it. Doesn't matter if you're slave or free or male or female. Let me tell you this to women in here. You know what the Jews would say about women? I thank God that I'm not as a Samaritan, a woman, or a dog. You think Jesus didn't do something for women's rights? He did more for women than any, any government has ever done on the face of God's green earth. Jesus made it where it doesn't matter if you're male or female. You're not a second-class citizen. You're not a person that God choose men first over. He doesn't think like that. That's not who God is. God wants you to recognize that as a child, you're a child. Now the Word of God sometimes will say, sons of God. It's not making a gender preference there. It's making a statement of familial relationship as a child. Now, remember back over there in Galatians, or rather in Genesis, where God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Abraham had, had, had one son. And uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob down the line had 12 boys. They made up the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, so therefore they get called the 12 tribes of Israel. God protected the bloodline over hundreds and thousands of years, literally, that brought it about a pure bloodline of the Jews. And all of a sudden we get down, how is it? that I am going to be benefit from a relationship with God? How is it that I get to benefit from Abraham's bloodline? How do I get to do that? Listen, Cullen Smith, I, I, I'm raised in Timbuktu compared to Jerusalem. 
I don't have a bloodline. I can't go to the temple and get out the rolls and say, who's your daddy? I can't do any of that. And that's why John's going to say, we're not born of the will of the flesh, nor of man. Because you know what the Jews did? They would sit up there and say, I've got Abraham's blood in my veins, and they didn't care about God. Verse 29 says, And if you are Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I love that. You didn't deserve it and I didn't deserve it, but it still is available. And God made sure that you understood how important Jesus was and how important His blood is because Jesus literally, physically was. He came in the flesh and lived in the lineage of that promise. And when He died on the cross, one's blood greater than Abraham now blesses all mankind. And now it was no, no longer about the blood of one man. It was about the blood of the very Son of God. And that's why John literally would say, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. That's a big deal. At the point of being born again, we decide to turn our life over to the Father's will. And when I... Write these steps on the board of how you're going to be saved. I know this is a big deal for a lot of people because lots of preachers say lots of different things. So I'm going to say just what Jesus said. And if you leave here and you think, you know, I'm not sure about that, I hope you talk to me. Because I'm going to open up the Bible. In fact, I'm not even going to quote it. I'm going to flip there right now. In John 8 and verse 24, I want to read this real quickly. Sometimes when we quote, somebody thinks, where did he get that from? Well, I'm going to read it to you. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So in other words, absolutely the foundational step is we must believe, we must have faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus Christ tonight? If you believe in Jesus Christ, that's a big deal. But you're on your way. That's the foundation of everything. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, whatever I'm about to say now doesn't mean anything. That's why it's always listed first. Just so you know. If you don't believe in God, why in the world would you be here? Why would you be moved to go and worship Him and sing praises to Him and listen to a prayer to Him? Why would you be compelled to do that? So obviously I'm going to take it that pretty much you're here because you believe in God. And I'm also going to take it that most people that are in our assemblies many times believe in Jesus Christ. But I'm here to tell you that in John 8 verse 24, Jesus said, If you don't believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. The next thing I'll say is Jesus wanted us to change our lives. And that word is repentance. I promised to read it, so I'll read it. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, here's what Jesus said. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's Luke 13 and 3. The next thing I'll tell you, and repentance has changed. We'll go over that in a second. The next thing I'll tell you is the idea of confession. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 10, 
Verses 32 and 33, we've already gone over John 3 and 5 on baptism. We absolutely know that's essential. But in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, this is a very telltale passage. And listen to it very, very carefully. Here Jesus expresses our obligation to confession. He says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. When Jesus comes back, he's going to say, This is your child, Father. Why? How? Because we've confessed the sweet name of Jesus. Peter confessed... Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which art in heaven. That is the confession we all must make. And here's what I'm going to tell you. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, commit to change your life and confess Him as the Son of God and be born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And tonight I want to plead with you on behalf of the Son of God to reevaluate perhaps what religious experience you may have had in your life, what you think about how it is you're going to be a child of God, reflect upon that and be moved by what the Word of God says, not by what I said. All of these things Jesus said. I'm asking you, I'm pleading, choose to be a child of God. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. In, Mark, in Romans 6, 17, Paul said, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Man comes up with all kinds of plans. Jesus had only one. Secondly, Jesus wanted change to happen before and after being born again. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. A child, a safe person, is, a one, is one that is learning. Learning. What are we learning? We're learning all things that were revealed from God through Christ to us. Where do we get all of that? Where do we get all of this? The very calling card, the very basis of who we are, the very basis of what we do is in the Word of God. That's it. That's where it is. I've got to hurry along. Paul taught plainly the Corinthians, but God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. That helps me understand passages like Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In Ephesians 5, 18, Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians 3, 16, a sister passage, he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I want to tell you, if you want to fill yourself up and be led by the Holy Spirit, listen and write the word of God on your heart. David did that. David meditated in the Word of God day and night, Psalms 1 and 2, and he hid it in his heart to avoid sin, Psalms 1, 19, 11. He called it the Word as a lamp and a light in Psalms 1, 19, 105, and John wrote that we should walk in it, the very light. In 1 John 1 and verse 7, when we keep it, we know God. If we don't keep it, we don't know God. The Word of God reveals His character. In Ephesians 5 and 1, Paul wrote, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. 
Peter would say, As God is holy, so be ye holy. Do you know the funny part about children? A lot of times they do this. Oh, he acts just like his dad. That's what happens, isn't it? Now, I'm telling you, you can tell by the tone of my voice, that wasn't necessarily the complimentary time. That wasn't the happy birthday time, Frank. That's the time where things aren't great, isn't it? Yeah, sure it is. Oh, he's just like his mom. Those things happen, don't we? Because as genetic heritage is passed on, we bear some traits of our parents. That's not a bad thing. Hate it for you. Used to think I'd never be like my dad. How many times have I heard it in this meeting? You sound just like Jimmy Smith. Haven't heard Turner burn in years. That's what I grew up on. I want to ask you this. Do you have a relationship with God where you want to be like him? If you don't, something's wrong. If you evaluate your life and you look in the mirror, does your life as a child of God reflect the character and the image of God? How do I know what his character and image is? I know it because it's revealed in the word of God and it was expressed in the image and person of Jesus Christ. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I know if I'm mean and nasty and rude and unkind and unforgiving and full of envy and jealousy, those are none of the things that Jesus Christ was. Therefore, I'm not acting like God. I'm not acting like Him. When Jesus addressed this, made this statement in this passage in Matthew 18, some of very small points I want to cover in closing are Jesus wanted humility of a child to be the goal of every Christian. Are you a humble person or a proud person? Proud people sometimes have ego problems. Now, we can write it off and we, we can begin to rationalize it as, well, he's just in, uh, unsecure or insecure. He's insecure. That's a big cover for pride. Pride's a big deal. In 1 Peter 5 and 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Psalms 10 and 4 says, The wicked in his proud countenance will, does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Pride is one of those sins that comes from the heart and mind and defiles the man. Not what you eat, it's what comes out of you. Why did Jesus take a child and tell them to be humble like a little child? Beautiful thing about two and three year olds. Now sometimes they get possessive. But I have never seen a child come up and say, you know what, look at this shoe right here. This shoe cost $159. That shoe is amazing, isn't it? It's got this marking on it and that marking on it. It's amazing. But that's what we do. Sometimes we make status symbol statements with our clothing and we like to look good. And sometimes people worry about the little insignia upon their shirt. Let me tell you, if you're trusting in people to think well of you because of the insignia upon your shirt, grow up! But that's how it is, isn't it? I mean, I was fine with Walmart shoes up until like fourth grade and it wasn't cool anymore. And my parents couldn't get it. Well, mainly because they couldn't get it because they didn't want to pay for the upgrades. But that's what we do, isn't it? We get proud. We want to wear nice things. We want to fit in. We want to be 
uh, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. As a child of God, please care more about what the Father thinks than what anybody else thinks. And that's a big deal too. There's a little girl back home. Her name's Julianne. Her daddy's Brad. And uh, Julianne is like, I've never seen a kid like her. One day uh, I was visiting with him and, and she wanted something. We were at a store and I reached in my, my pocket and gave her a dollar and her daddy said, give it back. She gave it back. Like without even a thought. I said, no, no, no. You go on, go on. Most kids, I'm thinking to myself, would say, all right. Take it and run. She didn't. She would have nothing to do with my dollar bill. Because do you know the voice in her head that was the most important? Her daddy's. It was the most important voice in her head. And if the most important voice in our head says get ahead and, and, and be this great person based off what society and culture wants you to be, we're not acting like a child of, the God, of God, we're acting like a child of the world and the father of this world. And that's not a compliment. Humility is a big deal for God. Secondly, growth is another quality of a little child. When we reach stages of life, we want to grow. I remember my sister-in-law, uh, when, when it, all of my sister-in-laws, you would ask, how was your first checkup for the baby? And they would all say, oh, well, he's in the 75th percentile. And then you'd hear somebody say, oh, he's in the 95th percentile. What is that? Some doctor gets ahead and says, well, he's 95th percentile for height, but... 30th percentile for weight. I'm going to have to fatten him up. They're charts. These doctors will go in, they'll measure them, they'll get their height, they'll get their weight, and they'll say, your child really should be on this plan. They really should be here. And that's not a bad thing. They put those things in place so if you have a problem with your child, they can catch it early and deal with it, perhaps with modern medicine, whatever it may be. God puts some controls in place too so you can check yourself up if you're not growing spiritually. Because guess what? You can live and be an old person and be spiritually immature and never grow. You'd be stunted. That happens to people. And let me tell you how that happens. The Bible says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And receive with meekness the engrafted word. If you keep sin in your life, you'll never grow. That's why you got to get rid of it. It's like poison. If you put grass killer or you put some kind of a weed be gone or roundup in with fertilizer, you're in for it. Your grass is going to die. Well, God wants us to grow. Spiritually, when we're born again, we need food. Peter said... Laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. I want to tell you something I can't help you with. I'm going to write it down on the board. You're going to see it right here. It's something I can't help you with. I can't fix this. I can't do it for you. Nobody else can. Nobody can do it for you. This is you and you and you alone. This is between you and God. Let me tell you what it is. It's this little word called desire. Desire. Have you ever heard the old illustration, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink? And I know that's old adage. I know that's a little cheesy. But that's true. 
you can't make somebody grow spiritually. And if you don't want to give up your sin and you don't want to change your life and you don't want to grow into the person and do all the things you need to be and grow to the person you need to be, you won't. You won't. Peter said again, Beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with error of the wicked, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. What do he say there? Don't fall away. You know what happens to a lot of children of God? They fall in love again with the sin of the old life and they go do it again. What's the answer to that? Grow! Grow for all your worth. And if you're growing, that's huge. That's great. Paul said to the Ephesian elders, he said, Take heed unto the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Why? Because there's going to be grievous wolves that enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves, men shall arise, speaking perverse or distorted things to draw away disciples after themselves. What did Paul say? He said, you feed them the Word of God. What happens when you feed people the Word of God? They grow. Now let me ask you a little self-help question. Are you a better person than you were last year? Are you nicer? You better husband? You better wife? You better friend? Oh, those are all the questions you can get on a pop psychology exam or whatever it may be. What about this? What about the Word of God? What truths have you been able to internalize? What have you been able to break through and break over? What have you been able to overcome? I know some men right now that could cuss like sailors when they first came to Christ. And their veins would split and they'd go off here, there, and yawn. Their faces would get beat red. Lips would tremble and you would tremble because they literally could go off. But then over time they begin to grow out of that. That's what the sons of thunder did. You ever heard cuss like a sailor? The apostles were sailors. They changed. They changed. They grew. A salty West Texan named Mike Howard, good friend of mine, Ken, some some in this audience, told me one time he was quoting his Uncle Benny, who many of you know. He said the two most important questions you'll ever answer in your whole life are two simple questions. Are you saved and are you growing? Because there is no holding your own. There is no, well, I'm doing all right. This is not a country song. We're talking about growing, succeeding, conquering, living the life, or we're talking about meandering around, falling back, fading away, walking away. We have to feed ourselves. You take one meal away from a child and you're going to have a screaming fit on your hands. Because they're hungry. The third thing I want to close with is children trust their parents. I was uh, up in Manteca at Labor Day and Kip Lee was telling me about his boy that they built a treehouse back in Rick's yard and doesn't have really a rail around it yet. And he had been jumping off to him and he said he somehow climbed up there and he was walking by and all of a sudden he reached and, and caught him. And so this kid has been playing where he jumped off, and he just knew his daddy was going to catch him. So what did he do? Climbed up and ran and jumped off in full confidence. Do you trust God? 
with your life? Paul trusted him with his soul and his life. He would say, for me to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. It was all for God. Now you may look at that and you may say, that's a bum deal. I, I don't know about that. What about me? What about me? Let me tell you something. You'll never have more blessings. You'll never have more joy. You'll never be more happy and have more peace in your life for you, for me, than when you give yourself to God. That is called an inherent blessing. It's not one of those things you can pick up at Walmart. It's inherent. You do the right things. You live the right way. You literally do your best to become like God, like Jesus. And when you do, all of a sudden you have joy and peace that is beyond comprehension. But you have to trust God and His plan to do that. In Matthew 6, Jesus slapped the self-sufficient attitude down and He slapped it down hard about how awesome God is and how He attends to our needs and we should trust Him. He would say things like, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. God never promised you to be rich, but He promised to take care of your physical needs. The problem is, what we consider to be our needs are really a whole lot of wants. Trust is central. It's central to all life. For example, today if you go to the doctor, generally you're the name of that doctor, you won't be able to pronounce. He'll have degrees on the wall that you've never verified. Have you ever called and verified his degrees on the wall? He gives you a prescription you can't read. About 17 cylinders long. This long. Hardly can make a label to fit it on there. You take it to the pharmacist that you've never seen before. He gives you a chemical compound you do not understand. Do you go home and take the pill exactly like he tells you to? And guess what? Magically, you get better, don't you? That's how it works. God revealed himself. He's shown himself. It's all on the table. It's all out there. There's no hidden agenda. There's no hidden, prog uh, no hidden anything. God's saying, here I am. Here's my son. Here's what I'm offering you. Live for me. I'm going to make you happier than you've ever been. I'm going to give you joy you can't imagine. And I'm going to take away all your sins. And not only that, you get to live with me forevermore. Now listen, if you can't trust God based off all the evidence you've been given, I want to tell you I feel sorry for you. Don't trust in God like the story of a man one time who stumbled from the path over the edge of a cliff. And as he was falling down, he grabbed hold of a small branch of a tree that grew out of the side of the rocks. Instantly, he began to scream, Is anyone there? A voice came from the top that said, Yes, I'm here. The man asked, Who is that? The voice came back, The Lord, do you trust me? The man responded, Oh, thank you, Lord. Yes, I trust you completely. The Lord responded, Let go of the branch. The man said, What? The Lord said, let go of the branch. It was a long pause for just a moment. And the man yelled back up again, Is anyone else up there? That's how we are sometimes. That's how we are. The Lord is a person that caught our very image of distrust. He was a person, he is the person that we can trust and he attacked our distrust. He attacked our anxieties. 
James would say, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. That's a difficult thing to do. How many times have you gotten up when you got a call from some horrible disease that struck someone and pray to God, please help them, please intervene. Get up off your knees and say they're as good as dead. God changes things. He hears and answers our prayers. One writer said, having no doubt God can deliver. Another said, no man can believe too much good about God. And I want to tell you, you need to trust God when you're tempted. And you need to know that whatever it is that's coming your way, God will make sure it is not too much that you cannot still be His child and still live the life. It may be difficult. It may be more than you've ever anticipated. Family problems. Addictions. Issues in your life. You may even go to prison for things you did not do. Trust in God and live for Him no matter what. Because I want to tell you something. He is in control of what the world and men and evil men and circumstances cannot touch. He is in control of your soul. On the fifth floor of a burning building, everyone watched as a little nine-year-old girl clung to the edge. They had erected a huge balloon thing for her to fall into at the bottom. She was trembling, hanging to the side of the ledge. She happened to be blind. They could not coax her to jump from the ledge. They would try over and over, and the flames kept leaping closer and closer to her. The building was engulfed. Finally, her father frantically arrived on the scene. He was granted a bullhorn, and as it seemed as if life would certainly be lost, he screamed in that bullhorn as loud as he could, Jump now! And at the sound of his voice, she turned loose and jumped to safety. Tonight I'm begging you not to listen to my voice, but to listen to the voice of the Almighty through these feeble vocal cords that I have. Please, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you're a child of God, you have special provisions and special protections. You have prayer. But most of all, you know that your Father will take care of your soul. Tonight, if you're trying to take care of your own soul, you haven't done very well. Let God. Let God allow you the privilege of saying yes to Him and you being added to the very family of God Almighty. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.